Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. All right. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Let me, uh, let me open in prayer, and then we can get to the study here. Father, Yahweh, we give you great thanks. Father, thank you again for another wonderful Shabbat and the change of the weather and, and your feasts that are coming upon us. We thank you for those invite, invites that you give us during the year to um, not only just the Shabbats, but these other days to enter in and grow closer to you and learn more. And Father, that's the reason why we're here today. Will you do that? Will you help us to understand um, you and empower us with your spirit so that we can overcome all things that come before us. We thank you, Father. We thank you for the redemption that we hold dear that's in your son, Yahshua, who's bringing us closer to you and is going to bring us home. We thank you again. Amen. All right. Well, I'm glad all of you guys are here today. It's the normal procedures. Oh, first, too, those online, thank you for being part of our family. Um, uh, you can always go to our site and donate there if your heart leads you to. We thank you for any and all support that you bring towards Living Messiah. So the general stuff, um, we'll have the comments and questions, Paul has the mic. Just raise your hand, and uh, he will make his way to you. Let's be on point of what we're talking about, and let's not get ahead of the text, okay? And I know all those are hard, but we're going to try the best we can, and that even goes for me. So, so um, we're actually in chapter 5 of John. This is kind of awesome. I'm kind of excited because there's some things I come across that um, I thought was exciting, so I hope um, uh, you will receive them just as, as much in excitement as I, I came across them. So let's read this section here, and then I have some talking points uh, that we'll go through, okay? So John 5 begins this way, chapter 5. After this, there was the festival of the Jews, and Yeshua went to, up to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, at the Sheep's Gate, there was a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethsaida, okay, having five porches. In these were laying a great number of those who were sick, blind, crippled, paralyzed, waiting for the stirring of the water. For a messenger was going down at, certain, uh, at a certain time into the pool and was stirring the water, Who's, whoever... Uh, Whoever stepped in first, then after the, after the stirring of the water, became well of whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there uh, who was sick, sick with, excuse me, who had a sickness 38 years. And Yeshua saw him laying there, uh, lying there, and knowing, that, knowing what, that he already had been a long time, he said to him, do, not, do you wish to become well? The sick man answered him, Master, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Yeshua said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man became well, and he took up his bed and was walking. 
Now, this was on the Shabbat day. So, this is going to be, I, I think it's going to be interesting for you. So, these talking points I was, ta- uh, was, was mentioning, these are what I'm going to look at, okay? The New Testament manuscripts, Hellenization, um, Esculpius, Esculpius, okay? And I'll clarify what that is in a little bit. Uh, 40 and 38 years. And then ultimately we should be, end up right here. Uh, do you want to be healed? Okay? So let's get started here. So the first talking point, New Testament manuscripts. Okay? As we just read, John 4, 5. And then some translations um, may have this in, in your Bible. Okay? For an angel of the Lord went down at certain season into the pool and troubled the water, so whoever was in first then would get healed, okay? So that's, that's, this is the interesting part right here that plays in what we're going to look at. Some manuscripts include here holy or in part paralyzed, and they waited for morning, uh, the moving of the waters from time to time. An angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters, so some translations have that, and some don't, okay? So that's what I was looking at, which I thought was really interesting. So some translations, like the King James, uh, decide to include this because it was, it was in the manuscripts they had. But some, like the NIV, if you have that translation, decided to omit this because in, in the 400 years since the King James was translated, much older manuscripts have surfaced that did not have this verse. Okay? So, King, so the King James translated uh, was ultimately translated largely from the Texas, Texas uh, uh, right? Tectus Receptus, Tectus Receptus, okay? Which was a, a, a combination of manuscripts that did not even date prior to uh, 1100 AD. So the NIV translations, for an example, the translators um, had access to uh, manuscripts dating back much later, within 150 years of the original documents of the time. Uh, let's say, of the New Testament, okay? So often a copyist, now this makes it interesting, often a copyist would write an explanation in the margins, and, and sometimes that explanation, in, when they're transferring the text, that explanation that they would write off to the side to help the reader understand more, okay? Sometimes that got added into the text, okay? And it's not necessarily always wrong, but if something gets added in and you're unfamiliar with the cultural context, we're going to have an issue, okay? So the, anyhow, the um, NIV, for instance, doesn't contain this verse because the manuscripts, like I was saying, that they were copied from it, um, did not have it in the ones before them and didn't have, the, have it because the original didn't have it, okay? That's the assumption that they're running on, which... I'll tell you right off, I think it's a great assumption for, the, for these translators and what they were doing. Uh, regardless, just the translators bringing it from these languages for, 
for us to understand. Uh, that's a, a feat in itself. So my first thing, I think we always have to always appreciate whatever scriptures you have. And I, I don't have this in my notes, but one point I do want to make out just uh, that you'll see is it takes a lot in these translations. And regardless of what translation you have, there's going to be a little bit of bias depending on the translators, okay? That's why I always address, get a couple different, different translations. The ultimate uh, problem solving of that is to learn Hebrew, okay? So I haven't been able to do that very well. So I have to rely on others, uh, other scholars who know the Hebrew and the Greek text and look at their critiquing as they go, okay? And the Father will direct you as, as, that, uh, as that goes. So, so, a lot of, uh, so 500 years, uh, so the manuscripts for at least 500 years, uh, when no manuscripts before 500 A.D. had this verse, okay? It was, it was most likely a marginal note or a copy, copying error, okay? So let me explain uh, what I'm talking about here. So what happens is you got multiple Greek manuscripts copied after 900 A.D. have a mark showing that they thought this verse was questionable, okay? But they included it because it was in the manuscripts that they were copying from, okay? And this is focusing on this, um, uh, within this verse of 5-4 uh, of John, okay? So the verse... Um, so this verse has a large number of textual variances. Uh, there are many versions of the text and many different in, in, in the Greek manuscripts, which points to it being very questionable. Okay, so it's not in all, even all the Greek manuscripts. Okay, so that's why they're thinking maybe it wasn't originally, um, uh, wasn't in the original. And when I get done, I hope to show you that with even what we know of the Old Testament and basic principles that we see, that we should, or at least I'm going to try to convince you, it's like this verse shouldn't be in there, and it's being misunderstood if we do look at it. So that's what I want to show you. And we can do that because, like I said, I don't read Hebrew and I don't read Greek, but... We know enough of the principles that we see in the Old Testament and the character of our God. We should be able to, with some clarity, figure that out and understand it. Okay, so that's what I want to present to you here too. So while some modern um, some modern Bibles still include this verse, but it is not contained in the earliest and most reliable manuscripts available for us today. It seems that the Christian copyist at the time, somewhere along the line, unfamiliar with the pool of Bethsaida, because that's where we're at in the story, Bethsaida, or Bethsaida, okay, and the history of a cult associated with it. Hmm. So, ultimately, that brings us to our next talking point that I want to sh share with you. So... Ultimately, if it's not, like I was saying, if it's not in, um, in your Bible, it wasn't deleted, okay? So I don't want to go down that, mind, that mindset of it. It just maybe wasn't there to begin with, okay? So a lot of people can take and run with that 
And, and, but anyhow, let's not enter, even entertain that. So as we go on, the next talking point I want to look at is Hellenization, okay? It's kind of interesting. Hellenized, Hellenized ideas were part of the makeup of Judea at the time, okay? Hellenization, I guess, a, a real short in form, it's a worldly view, a Greek, Greek view of the world, okay? So after all, it was, remember, under Roman rule, Judea and a lot of uh, the surrounding area. So, so the, Roman, the Romans and the Roman religions, their ideas and their philosophies influenced all the peoples around uh, under who they ruled, okay? And that includes Judaism at that time. And later on, it will include Christianity as well, okay? So we have to keep that in mindset. To prove my point that that is a danger and can be there, Look at our society today. Look at the, in some ways, I'm sure most of you know, we see some of our um, Christian institutions accepting things that are not biblically sound, okay? So you can see why our creator said the things he did, what he said and how, why we should stick to them and teach our children, okay? So... So this brings us to, um, oh, th this pool of Bethsaida that we're going to discuss here. It just means house of mercy. That's interesting, okay? House of mercy. And I believe it's Aramaic. So the pool of Bethsaida and its history of the, the cult associated with it. So the, uh, the pool of Bethsaida is affiliated, way, affiliated with a particular cult. And not knowing the background, the copyists like I was talking about, not knowing the background of it, they added what was in the explanation notes, it sounds like. They added, added about the angel of the Lord stirring up the waters. And it was an attempt to clarify for the readers, okay? But it wasn't the house of mercy of the Most High. It was the house of mercy of a false deity, so it still can be called a house of mercy, just like any other religion out there. Well, here's some, another thing that I have discovered as times go on in my study. We hear about the good news we see in the New Testament. Guess what? Caesar, Rome, they had good news too. They had a gospel that they were trying to preach too. And most of it conflicted with the good news that we see in the text. Okay. So you see, uh, I think maybe the word dichotomy maybe here, or what the right word, but you see these two competing kingdoms ultimately are happening. His kingdom, and let's say the Roman kingdom at this time, and ultimately it's the world, worldly's kingdoms that are coming in, are always competing against his kingdom. And that's where we got to decide where we're going to stand, okay? So... Um, so ultimately, it being called the house of mercy doesn't necessarily mean it is um, uh, cannot be called that by, let's say, our, um, uh, called by other believers in the God of Abraham and Isaac, just because they say, oh yeah, that's that Bethsaida, the house of mercy place over there. It doesn't mean that it's been um, approved from the Almighty, just because it has a label that, uh, that is given to us. So here comes the Greek god that's associated with Bethsaida that I found out. 
Escopius is the, uh, his name. Okay? Escopius. Escopius, he is a hero and a god of medicine in ancient Greek religion and mythology. And remember, Rome took all kinds of things over, renamed them, you know. I mean, uh, for instance, a, the, a lot of the gods that you, the Romans worship, you can trace them all the way back to Egypt. They just got different names as they, they traveled through history, okay? So he's, he's the son of Apollo. Asclepius represents the healing aspect of the medical, uh, the medical arts. Check this out. I think this is interesting. His, he has daughters, okay? His daughters are Hygienia. Okay, which would be hygiene. That makes sense, along with this healing place that we're talking about. The goddess of purific, uh, 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 personification of health, cleanliness, and uh, you know, uh, sanitation. That's just that's interesting. And that's how we use the word hygiene. We all want, and you'll see if you go to Sukkot, we all, well, I have a slide for you guys. Make sure you wash your hands because we want to promote good hygiene, cleanliness of the hands, and spreading the germs. Now, his other daughter, um, uh, Panacea, okay, which even sounds like penicillin, okay, it's the goddess of universal remedy, okay? Here's the kicker, which if you've read ahead, you see this. The rod of Esculpius is a snake-entwined staff, and it still remains on several times. We see ambulances across the street, and they have that symbol. You're quite familiar with that symbol. That symbol goes all the way back to that understanding of this Greek god. And actually, out of what I did read, too, out of this particular Greek god versus all the other gods, he was the most merciful. You know, that's why he was kind of really popular, because really gave out mercy versus all the other gods, okay? And it happens to do with the healing in that. I talked with Jerry, and he, he mentioned something, and I'm going to mention it, and it's like uh, the eye of Delphi, right? Is it correctly? The oracle of Delphi, meaning the prophet of Delphi. It's another pro- popular idea within the, the, the Greek and the Roman gods, um, there is always something associated here, and, and not just with this god, but with other gods, where there'd be pools of water and there'd be a stirring going on that made, I don't know, prophecy, healing, and, or whatever the person was looking for, okay? So it's not an uncommon idea of this stirring of the waters. And already you can see, is my, did my mic go out? Or is it, oh, okay. So, so you can see already, you know, we have... Uh, ideas going on here. If misunderstood, could be something else. Okay. So then, um, then the other thing I wanted to bring up here: forty and thirty-eight years. This is, I think, is important in some ways. Ultimately, what's the significance? I don't know. I'll let you judge on this. But I think when we get to the end, I think Yeshua is making a larger point because of this person's numbers always mean something in scripture and this is what i dug up on it okay so in john a certain man he he was there he his sickness was he was 38 years with whatever ailment that this had john wanted to point that out he could have just said he was there a long time but he did say 38 okay there may be a connection here what i think might the the connection might be 
We go back to Deuteronomy 2. This is right before they go into the promised land. And just give you a precursor, remember, right before they go into the, they couldn't go into the promised land to that last generation was, right, wiped out. Because they messed up back when the spies went in and checked out his promised land. Remember the bad report? Anyhow. And at that time, Moses, this is Moses recounting that generation in front of him who saw his, uh, this generation would have saw their uh, their older generation before him mess up. So Moses is recounting here in Deuteronomy 2. And the time we took to come from um, Kadesh Barnea until we passed over the Wadi Zared was 38 years until all the generation of the men of battle was consumed from the midst of the camp and Yahuwah had shown, uh, and Yahuwah had shown uh, to them. And he also, and also, the hand of Yahweh was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. And it came to be when all the men of battle had finally perished from among the people. Then it goes on. So Moses is recounting this to that generation. But you notice this 38 years. So real quick here, upon the rival uh, Kadesh Barnea, which is bordered real close to the promised land, I was looking at this because we all heard, well, they were punished for 40 years wandering in the desert, right? If, if I got this right, and Jerry can maybe correct me, they were at Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, for about a year. And then they traveled for about a year to this bar, bar Kanot, Kadesh Barnea, okay? So they traveled another year till they got to this point. That's two years, right? And they messed up. Bad report of the spies. And the father says, you know what? Nope. You're not going in there. You're going to continue until this generation goes by. So you see where you got those two years from Mount Sinai and then another year traveling to uh, Kadesh Barnea and then 38 years for, that, for the rebellion to be crushed from what he's promised. So that's where I believe this 38 years plays a huge part, why John mentions it in the story, okay? So um, let me see. And there's no point in going, you know the whole story about uh, Caleb and uh, Yahushua or Joshua who were the only ones out of that generation to enter the promised land. So now we're going to come back and we're going to bring all this together. Do you want to be healed? What a question, seriously, that Messiah brings forth to this guy. And in some ways, I don't know, I guess you could take it one way or take it the other way, but he walks up to, I, I, let me put it in maybe today's, con, uh, 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 today's understanding. You see someone um, that's uh, handicapped or, or whatever, uh, you know, in a wheelchair, and then this guy out of nowhere comes up, hey, do you want to be healed? You know, it's like, when they're like, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Sometimes. I don't know. But that's what he asks him. And I think there's more loaded in that question. If you want to be healed, because remember, if you accept, and this is what he, the Father asks all of us in Messiah, do you want to be healed? 
if that's the case, if you, and he's going to answer, obviously, that means your life is going to change, <laughs> right? Which I, it should be a positive thing. But what I'm getting at, sometimes with some of our situations, maybe not like that, let me put it this way. Do you want a better life for yourself? That's what Yeshua has. That's what the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has. Do you want a better life? And a lot of people say, oh, yeah. But in some sense, they don't want to do those things that are required to have that better life there. Yes, Kathy. In my personal experience, I have many health problems. But in my personal experience, um, if Yah came up to me and said, do you want to be healed? I take it as a spiritual soul, like in my being that I'm healed through Jesus Christ and Yah. That's my way of, mm-hmm. No, like I, sometimes it's not a physical healed, it's a spiritual I, healed. I, yes, no, I understand what you're talking about. But I think, uh, to me, both of them can run together. Yes, we're all getting older. But yet, he didn't just, Messiah didn't die on the cross just for us to be spiritually inside. He did die for us. And our creator created us, you know, and gave us commandments, not just for our minds and our, let's say, our spiritual walk. He did these things for our physical beings as well. Okay? I believe that he's concerned. But no, I understand what you're saying about so what's in there, here's something else. Um, really, the, what he says to him it should be understood this way. Do you want to be whole? Okay? I know the word gets a lot of times maybe healed in the text or whatever, but really the mindset and actually the more the Hebraic idea that's going on here is do you want to be whole? Okay? See, now you can see where that can apply to a much bigger um, Uh, arena for our lives as well. Then he says, you know, um, and and Messiah says to them, rise, look at the wording here. Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man became well. Again, we see this reference here where he just spoke it and he did it. Okay? Okay. Now we're going to go back to Beth Bethesda, this pool. I'll bring this whole, what I wanted, what I believe and what archaeology shows at Bethsaida, this pool. It was a pool. It was, it was a pagan cult that was here. Messiah, walking by, saw this. Now the footnotes that you might have in your Bible would say, oh, the angel of the Lord came down, stirred those waters, waiting for what? You know, and they waited for the angel of the Lord come stir these waters. Think about that. Does that... Anywhere in Scripture do we have our Creator operating that way? This is in Jerusalem, mind you. We saw prophets that might have healed people, okay, you know, in the Old Testament and done wondrous things. But our creator, or Yahuwah, even when they were in the wilderness, it was all focused on the tabernacle. If they wanted to be healed, it happened around the camp. We're in Jerusalem here. 
So does that make sense that all of a sudden we're going to have a text where, you know, every once in a while the angel of the Lord comes down and stirs this water over here and someone's going, you know, whoever wins the lottery that day is going to get healed. To me, that does not match the character of our creator and what we see in the text. So I do believe that this was a, a place where Messiah was walking by, where people went to this Roman god, Greek god healing place. Now, the text, I do believe, says, might says a messenger comes down and stirs the water. That's how I see it in the Aramaic. But it doesn't say a messenger or an angel of the Lord does so. But that fits the whole idea of what would happen at these places anyhow, especially this particular one. This particular one said it had five porches, right? And they couldn't find it for the longest time, all right? Because they were looking for a pentagon. They couldn't find it. Well, it might be over here. It might be over there. They couldn't find it. Just, you know, and, but recently they did find this place. And it was in the shape of a, a square uh, or two squares on top of each other, like a, an eight. That's squared off. They found it. Five porches, just like John said it had. And they saw that one was upper in there slightly and the other was lower. So the whole Greek myth, mythology here of deity was all these people were going there to get healed from this Greek God because he was merciful. He showed a lot of grace to people. In the hopes, and the idea was, anytime I got one of the priests or a messenger, just simply a man would come down, open up the upper pool so the water would go to the lower pool and stir it, Woo, whoever got there first would be healed. But it was all fake. That was all a false deity that's going on here. So that's where I see later on, that was in the notes in the New Testament, but people forgot what on there culturally, so they're juggling this idea. So you can quite, at least that's how I see it with clarity. That it wasn't a messenger of Yahuwah doing this. And top it off, remember, like I was saying, he focused on the tabernacle, and at this time, it's in Jerusalem, and it's not too far from, what? The Temple Mount, this actual uh, Bethsaida where they found it. That's, you know, that meant the Temple Mount is the focal point of where our Creator goes out from Zion with his Torah, with his healings, with, with his word. It all goes up there, not some offshoot down here. There, there might be something happening. So that brings it back into this other idea. You have Messiah walking by. Remember in Egypt, the Almighty, what he did to their gods? We're reading it in our portions right now, too. He destroyed them because they had a belief system that the now did this, that these particular gods did this. The gods did this. They brought all this. And these plagues are directly associated with saying, guess what? Those gods are dead eventually when he gets done with the plagues. He says, I am the Almighty. I and I alone is the one who does this. The now is not your goddess who gives you this, this, or that. It is I, and he crushed. He crushed the philosophies, the deities, the whole mindset of Egypt by doing those things. Because it was Moses and Yahuwah through him. 
In some ways, I see Yeshua is doing the same thing. He's going by another pagan place where everyone's going in and getting healed, which no one's getting healed. And what's so funny, I, I did read one rabbi or from one writing. Someone, it was just this um, arbitrary question. They said, well, what happens if someone coming home from a, an idol is healed? First, the writings wasn't specific on what was being healed. And think about our bodies to begin with. We get cuts. We got a lot of things. He created us in such a way. A lot of times, I don't think we need most of the medicine sometimes that we take for our flus and stuff like that. Our bodies heal themselves because he designed us that way. We're just taking stuff for the symptoms. You all right? All right? So... So I don't see that there's any evidence of anyone ever getting healed from any of these Greek mythology gods that exist. But Yeshua walks by this place. Instead of going by what they say, because really he shouldn't have been healed because he wasn't there first with the water stirring. Yeshua just walks up to him and says, take up your mat, take up your bed, and walk. Just said it, and the man did it. That is right in the face of the pagan deity right there in front of all those that were there. I think that is awesome. I'm like, just, I don't know. I just see that's Yeshua in your face, deity. This, guess what? You are nothing. You're, all those people are hoping on this other God, and they're going to nothing. Which is kind of interesting. So this guy does get healed, right? And this is where I believe this, like I said, Hellenization was at that time, and it affected everybody. I believe this particular person that got healed, this is just my, my addedness here. I believe he was Jewish, and I believe he knew a background of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I think that's why Yeshua maybe picked him out. He saw that he was either a lost sheep of the house of Israel or a lost sheep of the house of Judah. And why I say that, because it's interesting. Later on, he's picked up by the Shabbat police, for instance. If we read this, he is. He's picked up because they confront him. And it says, why are you carrying your mat? If it was just a foreigner... I, I don't see the rabbinics or a Jew at the time correcting a foreigner on something that they're doing wrong because they're not expected to do that. But if they recognize if you are a brother, hey, why are you carrying your mat? Okay? So that's where I'm believing that he was Jewish or knew the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in some ways, let alone Messiah recognize it, that those who corrected him by carrying his mat that day as well. So that's why I believe he was a Jewish believer. And it's interesting. Here's another proof. If Bethsaida was a, was a holy site from the Almighty, later on in John 9, the blind man, he heals that blind man. He says, go heal yourself. He doesn't say go to Bethsaida and wash. He says, go somewhere else. The pool of, uh, 
uh, shalom or shalom. So you see the difference between Bethsaida and this, uh, uh, this other pool. So I think that in itself is very interesting. And there's other things I come across and I came across that in some sense I believe at least when you're reading the text, at least consider that when you're reading this section of John. That it is not, has nothing to do with Judaism or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The only thing that does have to do with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and our Messiah is that he was passing by and he healed someone. That was part of something else that was not part of his kingdom. And that shows a lot of love and mercy and grace in itself right there. Because later on, this man, he went away and told the Jews. We'll see in, uh, later on in this chapter. I'm getting ahead, but this is still, again, to prove this point, that if he was Jewish, why would he run to other Jews and says, I, you know... I'm carrying my mat because this guy told me to carry my mat because I used to be paralyzed and now I'm walking. That's why I'm carrying my mat. I don't care if it's a Shabbat. I've been healed. And ultimately, it's, no, it's not a sin for someone to be healed on the Shabbat. And in some ways, I don't see that it was a sin for this man to be carrying uh, his mat either. It was more of... Uh, tradition and the commandment of man that this guy was breaking more had nothing to me had nothing to do with the creator or breaking the Shabbat. So he began, and because of this, uh, this the the Jews that he went to persecuted Yeshua and were seeking to kill him. So they found out this story, <laughs> and think about it. So this whole idea and the religious environment that was in control at the time. Could care less if this guy got healed. They were more concerned that he was carrying something and he was getting healed on the Shabbat. That was their biggest thing that we'll read later on in the text. Yeah, or, uh, yes, um, uh, uh, because it could, in, uh, it could as well be affecting their pocketbook because it was only the religious people who had authority to go heal. All right? So it's like someone practicing medicine here in America without the right license, but yet the person healed and he's walked. And that's a whole other story, but in some sense, that's what was going on. So, and it's awesome again. With just a word, he healed them. And again, we see that aspect, how Egypt, he, Messiah is operating the same way that we've seen our father operate, at least in, with my eyes. So that's what I wanted to cover, but I want to leave it open for any questions or any place that maybe I can clarify what I just said and why I believe that. Because I'd, like, I'd, I'd like to hear from you, and maybe I can clarify things in that sense. All right, we got 
We got a nibble out there. <laughs> a bare nibble at that. Um, I was wondering, John, I'm sorry. Where was I in nine? Five. Okay. Where do I need to go? Oh, okay. Bruce 11. Oh, no. Go on down. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's okay. Okay. Down to verse 14. Um, Yeshua found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Oh. Is that, were you coming to that? I, I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I'm so glad you mentioned that. And I actually, I overlooked that part. And that's another point. Thank you, Jan. That's perfect because that still plays into this idea that this man was Jewish. Okay? He knew the right way to go. You know? And that's interesting. Messiah comes up to him. Oh, later on, we'll see. Oh, you're well again, huh? Feeling good? Better stay on that path or else something worse is going to happen to you. And that kind of conflicts with maybe today's a lot of the things that we hear out of the institutions today it's not promoting to me that whole idea isn't promoting slackness in your walk i mean if you've come to know the messiah you've come to know his torah there's grace there's mercy there no doubt but it's also don't go backwards. Go forward. Sister. So I have a further thought. It says, uh, Yeshua says, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And it makes the way it says that makes me think that Yeshua, uh, because he is God, uh, saw that maybe he was elevating himself or in some way uh, bordering sinning, and Yeshua caught him on it and wanted to warn him. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I, I would agree with that. And um, the other thing, too, here's something interesting. Yeah, I believe Yeshua didn't have to be deity to see this because he met him in a Greek temple. He shouldn't have been there. You know what I mean? He shouldn't have been hanging out inside a Greek temple. Right there, that's another God, you know? Sister. I'd never noticed that before. I think find that interesting that you brought that up, that that was, that was a pagan place. Mm -hmm. And he was seeking help from a pagan source. But after he's healed, where's he at? Exactly. The temple. And... Of course, that's where Yeshua is, and he talks to him about it. So we got to be careful that we don't seek out things that are contrary to what God's word says. No, I, I too, because you could go back to the, uh, what was it, uh, 38 years, all right? And it, to me, you can bring that idea in. It's like, okay, and if, you're, if you're familiar with the history here, 38 years, Enough of the rebellion, you get to go in into the promised land. So today, your rebellion should stop. And if you don't, something worse is going to happen to you. You know? Uh, does that shoot down the once saved, always saved theology? Potentially? Um, 
I'm going to have everyone entertain that for themselves. I think that's the better way to put it, you know. But I understand where you're going with that, brother. I do. All right, Brad. Do you have verse 17? Um, no, I don't. But go ahead and read it. Uh, but Jesus answered them, quotes, My father is working until now, and I am working. It just seems like it's out of the blue. I don't understand the context yeah, I, And uh, what we're going to do when we get back from Sukkot, and that's why I didn't want to read uh, or bring in this whole thing, but no, this, but you're correct. This does play into the part, and I've noticed this, and have you guys noticed this with Yeshua, his, with his narrative? A lot of times he's, uh, it seems like he's addressing it, and then he's often left field sometimes, and he's not. He's getting to the core of something by those who, because now he's being, being approached by a particular people over what he just did. And we're, we'll get into that, and we'll probably take a while uh, on that, because there's a lot of interesting things there we can look at. Yes, sister. I want to interject on the gentleman who talked about once saved, always saved. Mm -hmm. And the suggestion I would interject is that... Um, that's by what you believe, you know, Yeshua tells you, you're saved if you believe in me and, and that you, I died for your sins and that I've forgiven you, that, that spill there. So that, the part where he was wondering, did that have anything to do with that? If you sin and once you've gotten to know the word of God and know that it is a sin, and your sin has been forgiven, and you're forgiven from that point on, to go and do it again after you know it's a sin is considered a habitual sin. And so, therefore, you just basically, in my eyesight, you just slapped God in the face after he saved you. I mean, after he, he rectified all your situation. So yeah. it's not that he didn't believe, but he kept doing what he was doing. And that there's a sin. Because it's a habitual sin once he's relieved you from it. No, thank you, sister. And I believe in some ways that's what Messiah is trying to point out. What are you going to do now? You've been made whole. You have redemption. You have been given a righteous lifestyle to live out. What are you going to do? And we'll get one more, and then we have to close. Okay, well, to me, um, in John 5, 8, going back to John 5, 8, where um, Yeshua says, "Take up. Do, do you believe I can heal you? Then take up your bed and walk. He's basically, in reality, saying, do you trust me? Do you have enough faith in me and know that I will heal you? And if you do, well, then get up and do it. Have faith. Just do it and know that I can heal you. No, I, I think that's great. And that whole idea, rise, take up your bed and walk. That whole idea of walking, that's a very popular theme in Scripture. Your halakha, what you do, how you go through life, your walk in life. And I believe we could take that from that idea that there's more to that just mere sentence that he said. So let me close. Father Yehovah, we give you great thanks. Father, we thank you for your love, your mercy, and your continual direction in our lives. Father, we thank you for your spirit that help us to comprehend and strengthens us. And we just, we just thank you, Father. Please continue to help us so we can grow closer to you, to one another, Father and overcome all things that may become before us. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy that you, 
you have established from the very beginning. And we thank you that your words became flesh. He has dwelt among us. And we believe his report that your son, Yashua, has died and has resurrected for us and is bringing us home with those precious promises that you have given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Thank you for your time. And uh, those online will be back after Sukkot here. And just have a wonderful Yom, Teru, uh, Yom Kippur and a wonderful uh, uh, Sukkot as well.